You are listening to You Were Made For This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made For This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol, and hello, everyone. I'm so glad you've joined us today for episode 134, A Better Kind of Christmas Joy. When you and I think of the joy of Christmas, what usually comes to mind? If you're anything like me, it's friends and family getting together. It's a Christmas tree and other holiday decorations, Christmas music, traditions are rituals we've done for years. One of my favorites is watching older Christmas movies like White Christmas, Holiday Inn, and my all-time favorite, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, if you're a fan of this particular flick, you might want to check out episode 45, Seven Relationship Lessons from the Greatest Christmas Movie Ever Made. I'll have a link to it in the show notes, or you can go to johnsertalic.com forward slash 45. I find joy in all these things, but it's a fleeting kind of joy. It's like watching a bright yellow goldfinch landing on your bird feeder, picking at a few seeds, and then quickly flying off with them. The joy is so brief. So it is with all the trappings of Christmas. This type of Christmas joy is all about reliving nostalgia for a brief time. Then it's gone because so very little of the cultural customs of Christmas have anything at all to do with Jesus. There's a better kind of Christmas joy, though, the joy found in relationships brought together by a relationship with Jesus. Today's episode is an example, so keep listening. Last week, we started a December series on what we can learn from the relationships that make up the backstory to the Christmas story. In that episode, number 133, a Jewish priest by the name of Zechariah modeled for us several important relationship principles. I'll have a link to that episode also in the show notes. Or you can just go to johnsertalic.com forward slash 133. And you can listen to it or read about it later. Today, though, we look at another Christmas backstory relationship between two very unlikely characters. What we see in their relationship will give us some ideas we can use to enhance our own relationships. We pick up the story of this unlikely relationship in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The first person in this relationship is Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth. He describes her as well along in years, (laughs) well along in years, and who has never been able to conceive a child. She is now six months pregnant when the Apostle Luke introduces us to the second person in this relationship. It goes like this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. 
Gabriel is the same angel that appeared to Zechariah to tell him that despite his advanced age, his equally aged wife Elizabeth would give birth to a son, who would then become John the Baptist in time. We learn from Luke's account that Mary is in a relationship with this man Joseph. They're engaged to be married, and we'll talk about him in a future episode. For now, though, we see Gabriel greeting Mary, declaring she is a favored woman and that the Lord is with her. Her response and interaction with Gabriel illustrate a high degree of relational intelligence that we can learn from. It starts with, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Mary deals with her emotional state of confusion and being disturbed by using her mind to process what she just experienced with this greeting from an angel. She tried to think of the implications of what just happened. Mary uses the cognitive ability God created her with to listen to what her emotions are trying to tell her. Mary doesn't just feel. Feelings are intended to lead us to think. Feelings are not the end game. They are simply a means to an end, understanding what is true at the moment we feel. Gabriel is sensitive enough to pick up on Mary's emotional state. He starts by giving a name to her confused and disturbed condition. He calls it fear. And then he tells her not to be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. Many times when we're confused and disturbed, it's because we're afraid of something. Try this out. The next time you're interacting with someone who's confused and disturbed, ask yourself, I wonder what they might be afraid of. And the next time you feel this way, try asking yourself the same question. What am I fearing? Well, now if Gabriel were to stop here to simply say, don't be afraid, he could actually have made things worse with his comment. This comment, don't be afraid, without any explanation, could serve to minimize and discount Mary's fear. And we certainly don't want that. But Gabriel doesn't do this. Instead, he gives her reasons why she doesn't need to be afraid. He gives Mary facts, information to address her fears. He points out what reality is going to be for her in the future. He gives her a vision for what her role will be in advancing God's plan. He says, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Now, I love how Mary deals with her confusion and disturbed condition. She talks about her feelings with someone. She talks with God's representative. Mary goes to the source of her confusion and fear. 
And what a great example for all of us when we are confused and afraid. Talk to God about it. She doesn't ignore her emotions. Mary uses them for the purpose God designed them. Namely, to try and figure out what is causing the emotion. What are my emotions trying to tell me? What is going on that I need to be aware of? It's really a cognitive act. Mary asks for more information in order to understand her feelings. Sometimes all we need to ease our fears is just to ask questions of those who have the facts, especially when our experience flies in the face of what we know to be true, such as in Mary's case. You know, virgins don't give birth to babies. Well, back to the story. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Here we see that Gabriel gives Mary three facts to answer her question, How can this be? Number one, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Fact number two, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And fact number three, the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. This is an important relationship lesson. Some people just need a lot of information to allay any fears they may have. Well, Gabriel continues. Here's what he says to Mary. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Imagine what Elizabeth must have experienced coming out of five months of seclusion from her pregnancy. Where was she, the townspeople must have wondered. And then when they see her, I could imagine the whispers. Boy, it looks like old Elizabeth has put on a few pounds there. Here Gabriel tells Mary that she isn't the only one involved in this story, that Elizabeth is part of it too. In essence, he's telling Mary that God is doing something that looks to be impossible with her relative also just like he is doing with her. You're in this together with her, Mary, is what Gabriel is saying. Back to Luke's account. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I love that phrase. I am the Lord's servant. Mary sees her role as being to serve God's plan, not for God to serve hers. I wonder in what way God wants you to be his servant. I know some people will bristle at this thought, but when you come right down to it, our life is really not our own. Well, back to the story. Luke writes, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, 
Elizabeth's child leaped for joy within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This passage raises several questions for me. You know, what about Mary's parents? How did they respond to their daughter suddenly taking off for three months to visit Elizabeth? Did Mary tell them what Gabriel told her? And what about her fiancé, Joseph? How did he feel about her being gone for so long? We know from Matthew's Gospel that he was ready to break off the engagement when he learned Mary was pregnant. Well, back to Luke's account. Mary enters the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then Luke writes, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Elizabeth is such an intriguing character to me. Unlike her husband Zachariah, she doesn't doubt God when she learns she will become pregnant in her old age. She doesn't question the meaning behind what God is doing like Mary wonders. Elizabeth just basks in the joy of her childless shame being taken from her and the joy of her connection with Mary and being a blood relative to Jesus the Messiah. Her baby jumps for joy literally in her womb because Elizabeth is jumping for joy figuratively. Notice how their meeting begins with Mary and Elizabeth. Here we have old Elizabeth, six months pregnant, which must have been an astonishing sight to see for Mary and the others. Her pregnancy is a miracle that has already happened. But instead of talking about that, Elizabeth talks about the miracle yet to come for Mary in giving birth to Jesus. She puts her full focus on Mary and says nothing about herself. Wouldn't it be great if we all had a friend like that? Someone whose first thought is to share in the joy you are experiencing, rather than to begin talking about their own joy. What a great relationship example here that we have from Elizabeth. Another thing Elizabeth does is she finds joy in what is going to happen in the future. This is a better Christmas joy than the joy focused on what has come before. And it's joy rooted in God's unfolding plan to expand his kingdom. That's real joy. A better Christmas joy. The best Christmas joy. Finally, I wonder if Elizabeth's last comment to Mary, where she says, You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. I wonder if this is a bit of a dig with her husband, Zechariah, who did not initially believe the Lord would do as he said. Maybe he was in the same room or in proximity to overhear his wife's comments to Mary. Maybe just a bit of banter going on between the two of them. We don't know, but I like banter. (laughs) 
Well, in this moment of shared joy with Elizabeth, Mary responds by praising God from the depths of her being. She gives voice to a better kind of Christmas joy than most of us experience on Christmas Day. Here is what she said. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. In her praise to God, Mary derives joy in talking about all the great things he has done for her But mostly it's about joy in remembering all the great things God has done for humanity. He scatters the proud and elevates the humble. He meets the needs of the poor and sends the rich away empty-handed. Clearly, God plays a central part in the connection Mary has with her elderly relative, Elizabeth. It makes me wonder, what part does God play in your relationship? with people? What part does he play in a relationship with you, if any? Well, here's the main point that I hope you remember from today's episode. It's this. A better kind of Christmas joy comes our way when we focus on the great things that God has done for us personally, for the people we know and love, and for all of mankind. I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. Just send them to me in an email to john at caringforothers.org or you can share your thoughts in the leave a comment box at the bottom of the show notes. I hope your thinking was stimulated by today's show to both reflect and act by nurturing the better kind of Christmas joy found in our relationships with Jesus and with each other. I know you can do this because you were made for this. Well, that's all for today. I look forward to connecting with you again next week about another important relationship we see in the Christmas story. See you next week.